Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker in the visiting radio booth at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, where Wes and I are sitting above Lindsey Nelson Stadium because Tennessee baseball just swept Vanderbilt, just like we all predicted. We all knew that Tennessee was going to sweep Vandy this weekend. We all knew that Tennessee was going to win a series against number four Vanderbilt this weekend, and uh, for the first time all season, Tennessee baseball felt like Tennessee baseball. And the first eight and a half innings of, of game one felt like this year's baseball team. But the last two and a half, three and a half innings of that baseball game, they they they, they turned back the clock and, and looked like the, the two previous Tennessee baseball teams. Uh, I'll even say three previous lumping in that 2020 season that was canceled. Uh, it, it looked like Tennessee baseball this weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and it proves to be a sweep for the Vols, a, a much-needed sweep. So many storylines and, and so many different nuances uh, about this weekend. But but at the end of the day, Tennessee needed a series win, Wes, and, and not only did they pick up a, a series win, but they come in and, and they sweep their in-state rivals. Yeah, there, I'll give two quick thoughts here, Ben. I think the first is that – this weekend, not just here in Knoxville, but throughout the league, really changed the league standings dr- dramatically. I, I think now between the, the the top nine teams in the league, I think there's five game separation between the top nine teams in this league with 12 to play. And you could argue that the ninth team, Tennessee, is as talented as any team in the league. So, uh, and I think with the pitching depth, you certainly could make that argument. So that that's number one. But number two is is more important, I think, and it's that this entire weekend, Tennessee maybe had one Superman moment. I think Dylan Dryling, that home run that we'll talk about in a minute, on a pitch that was 82 miles an hour and was going to be in the dirt, and he golfed it out with Tennessee down to its final strike in the game. That was a Superman moment. But other than that, Ben, I think Tennessee, and this is the best news possible, Tennessee did not do anything special this weekend. Tennessee did what Tennessee is capable of doing. The players who hit, hit the way they're capable of hitting. The pitchers pitched the way they're capable of pitching. And for the first time in what feels like forever, until the final couple innings of, of Sunday's game, Tennessee played defense really well for, for a series. And 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 those those things, when you think about that, Ben, I think that changes the, the, the story even more because Tennessee just did what it's capable of doing, and that was enough to sweep a top-five team and national title contender. So, I mean – Bang, boom, season's on. There's no doubt about it. It feels like this was a, a turning point for Tennessee. And both of us said on the preview podcast that we recorded on Thursday night and released late Thursday night 
Uh, we we both felt like at, at some point the pitching was going to click for Tennessee. It was just a matter of when, and that was certainly this weekend. But also, like you said, they they played a lot of great baseball, and and I obviously ranted a, a, about bad baseball and and how much I was annoyed by the bad baseball that we've watched this season. They finally played good fundamental baseball, and and we will talk about all those fun big picture stuff on the way out the door. But do want to look back at at each game before we reach that point. And and Wes, I'll be honest with you, I think several guys played Superman in in that game one on Friday night to win four three and in twelve innings. Andrew Lindsay was terrific on the mound. He he looked like Superman out there. Uh, then Chase Burns comes in out of the bullpen late in the game and extra innings and my gosh, Chase Burns, I don't feel like I'm being dramatic. It's, it's dramatic if you want to lump in the entire season, but just on that one night on, on Friday night, he looked like the best pitcher in college baseball on Friday night. Uh, he, he he looked like Superman of, of all Supermans coming out of the bullpen. He, he looked tremendous and, and was fired up. But then you also you had Kavar's tears leading off the bottom of the ninth inning with a solo home run. That kind of sparked things. He, he absolutely crushed uh, a 3-2 a pitch off the batter's eye. Fastball kind of at the knees just absolutely uh, destroyed the pitch, and, and that gave Tennessee a, a jolt of energy. And then you mentioned Dylan Dryling playing Superman. Griffin Merrick comes in, doesn't start. He's been struggling late, as we've talked about. And I don't. I believe it was the top of the eleventh inning. Uh, Vanderbilt's Parker Nolan, I, I believe it was, hits a ball off the the wall there in right field where the bullpen is. Griffin fields it and throws an absolute dart to second base and cuts down the runner, which would have been a leadoff double for Vanderbilt in a tie game in the 11th inning. That was a big time play. And then he turns around in the bottom of the 12th inning and sends everybody home with a walk-off solo home run off of the scoreboard. And that that storyline was very, very fun because I mentioned that he didn't even start the game. But on top of not starting the game, he, he comes in late. And he's inserted in a situation to, to where hopefully he can drive in runs, and he strikes out on three pitches. Just a, a, a very, it, it was in a bat that did not did not look good on the eyes. It, it was not fun to to watch. Three pitches out, and then he comes in later, grounds out. Like he he had struggled in that game alone after not even starting the game, and then he sends everybody home with a solo home run off of the scoreboard and in right field. So it, it was kind of a – I said it earlier, those those first eight and a half innings, there was only two hits, I believe, going into to that ninth inning, and one of them was a Zane Denton solo home run. Uh, it, it, it felt like the 2023 Tennessee baseball team, and then for the first time all year – as soon as the bottom of the ninth started, Kavars hits that solo home run. From that point on, the rest of that game, and especially the rest of the weekend, it felt like the Tennessee baseball that we've come to know under Tony Vitello and for the first time this season. Yeah, I think to clarify, and I'm glad that you – I'm actually really glad you said it because I, when I say a Superman moment, what I mean is somebody doing something – that is like beyond the norm for what they're capable of doing normally. Like I, I think when you talk about like the way Malyahuna played all weekend, I think that is what he's capable of doing. Uh, I think, you know, Kavar's tears, it's a mature moment. Certainly you, you get to a full count, but, but the pitch that, that he, that Maldonado threw him full count was a bad boy 
that needed to get panked, and it got panked off the. You know, you don't want to throw a pitch to a left-handed hitter. It, it was a fastball, knee high over the plate, inner half, and and tears just wrecked it the way you would think he would. Um, and that's why I think Burns, as, as Superman as he looked, like he is Superman, like he was born with that right arm. You know, a gift from from the baseball gods, like. The dryling moment to me was the one that you go even even merits the great throw there to second base. He's not a great defensive player, but but he's a decent athlete, just not a great runner. Uh, but he's capable of making that play, and, and he made the play, nice play. Um, but the, the dryling moment to me was the one you're down to your final strike. The catcher is having to go down into the blocking position because that thing is headed directly for the dirt. It's it's turf here, but it's headed for, I mean, the catcher, uh, if you go to Twitter, I, I put up a, a picture of where the catcher was, you know, set up for it because he had already gone down to both knees and was getting ready to block it. That, that's where the pitch was. And, and he goes down and golfs it. Um, but take nothing away from tears, take nothing away from merit, certainly, who I think showed he could hit velocity at times this weekend, which is we, we wondered, could he do that? Well, he can do that, Ben. He he sped his he sped up his bat and did that. Um, but but yeah, the the greater point, what they did. Sometimes in a season, it just kind of takes a moment or two, like where things are going great and all of a sudden, woof, or things are going terrible and then hey, and I think you could clearly see now with hindsight Friday night was not the the aberration that was sort of the the switch right that was the that was the the flashpoint where this team kind of came to life Lindsey Nelson Stadium came back to life started feeling the way that it feels when it weighs on opponents when it gives them a hard time uh, when it makes Tennessee take the level of play up a notch um, but take nothing away I mean those two freshman kids that that have not played a ton of baseball here at Tennessee but but are talented having those moments, Merritt doing what he did, Burns doing what he did. It, it, it was the thing that, that we'll see in the next six weeks, but it sure ch- seemed to change a lot of things in a hurry. It did. It, it, it sparked the entire weekend, and the the unsung hero in that game, there were a ton of heroes in that game one alone, and, and we just talked about a lot of them. Uh, Chase Burns looked awesome. We talked about it, the, those solo home runs. But the offense was not good in, in that first game. I mean, they scored four runs in 12 innings, and four of the runs, or I guess all four of the runs, were solo home runs, uh, which is good, but you would like to get more guys on base. They only had six hits for the night, uh, and they had one hit with two outs. They were one for 12 with two outs, 0 for 11 with runners on base, 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position, they didn't even get a guy to third, I don't believe. Uh, and they were 3-for-12 leading off innings, 2-for-12 in advancement opportunities, and 2-for-23 against lefties, which is hideous. Uh, and, and real quick, to go back to, to Dryling, what was awesome about Dryling in that moment, and he's going to be a daggum good baseball player for Tennessee. He, he already is, but he's now 7-for-10 on the season pinch hitting. And it's like... I don't have the exact stat line in front of me, but it's I tweeted it out. Three doubles, a, a home run, and just ridiculousness. I think he also has two walks and other uh, pinch hit opportunities that don't show up on the stat sheet because walks are weird in that way. He, he's been awesome in, in pinch hit opportunities. It, ri- it re- reminds me of Kyle Booker as a freshman a, a couple of years ago when Booker was able to have some early success. So that, that was kind of a neat storyline there with Dryling is not only – 
is he hitting a home run in that moment, but it was a pinch hit opportunity. He's been really great in pinch hit opportunities this season. And him and Tears both, I mean, they, they go down in the count. Uh, Tears goes down 0-2, 1-2, something along those lines. And I, I think it was 0-2 and, and works the count full and then gets a pitch to hit and absolutely pisses on it for, for – uh, yeah, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh, and then Dryling as well. He goes down 1-2. And, and that 1-2 pitch, according to the the system that Tennessee uses to track balls and strikes, they have it up here in the press box. And that pitch that the umpire called to make it a 1-2 count, it was not a strike. It was a ball. I believe it was inside, if I remember correctly. But it, wherever it was, it was not a strike. And it put him down 1-2 in the count. And he golfs a ball, like you said. I mean, that that wasn't a bad pitch by the Vandy pitcher. No, Maldonado did not throw a bad pitch. I mean, that that was a good one-two, two-two count. And and Dryling just put a heck of a swing on it. So uh, that was cool. But everybody's talking about Dryling and Tears and Merritt and Burns. But Tennessee's not in that position if Andrew Lindsey did not do what Andrew Lindsey did. Because, again, I just read you off all the offensive statistics in that game. It was Lindsey that kept them in that game. Candon Sewell was also really good out of the bullpen, 2.1 innings, uh, one hit, didn't give up a run, only one walk, uh, looked much better than he did at Arkansas. Uh, Sewell was awesome in 46 pitches, bridging that gap to get to Burns and keep Tennessee within striking distance, had to come in and, and get Tennessee out of a jam. But Lindsey... Pitching into the seventh inning, 6.2 innings of work. He gave up three runs, uh, but only two walks, six hits, struck out 10, all on 77 pitches. And uh, I did say that I want to kind of go game by game here, but looking at, we'll go ahead and have the pitching conversation, looking at the pitching staff as a whole and the decisions that have been made the last week, two weeks, they're all paying off. And and we kind of talked about that on the preview pod. We, We both felt like, in hindsight, when we looked back on the season at some point, we thought that those decisions would prove to be a turning point. And again, still a small sample size, but I, I feel even more strongly that we're going to look back on those decisions and, and be the, the turning point of Tennessee's season because Lindsey has been awesome. Chase Dolander was awesome in game two on Saturday. Drew Beam, he bounced back from his shaky Arkansas start. Uh, and, and Drew Beam has been fairly consistent all season. He said post game today that he just did not have any pitches at Arkansas. It, it was just a day where he didn't have command, maybe a little bit of command on the curveball, but other than that, he had absolutely nothing at Arkansas. And, and that's just kind of baseball being baseball. That that happens to everybody, every single player. There's going to be days where you simply do not have it. But the the three new starters. Uh, or in new positions, I guess Beam's really the only one that hasn't been touched, Uh, and then Burns out of the bullpen. All those moves look absolutely tremendous so far and and look to be paying off. Yeah, you know, we talked about all the changes that Tennessee had to undergo offensively in the offseason. Coming into the new season, lots of decisions to make on who plays where, how's the lineup get sorted, it's awfully lefty-heavy, you know, you don't know what you're going to do with catcher there. There's all sorts of decisions that have had to be made there and still have to be made there in terms of who does what on what day. But we sort of thought that the pitching would, was mostly settled, right? Like it was only a question of, well, where would those three aces go? Would you keep it the same lineup as last season or would you would you tweak it a little bit? And, and they did, and they went with Dolander and then Burns and then Beam. And clearly it, it just didn't work, right? When you're a coach, 
part of coaching is you make decisions and they don't work and you look stupid. You make decisions, they work out and you look like a genius, right? And, and it, sometimes it's not that simple. Players have to execute also. But what took some stones was to go to Chase Burns, a kid who is going to be most likely a first round pick in next year's draft because that arm is going to be at the multi-million dollar arm. We can all see that, but things weren't working out, but he's also one of the most talented pitchers in college baseball. You have to go to that kid and say, "Mm, I think we're going to move you to the bullpen. And you have to one, have the stones to say, okay, Andrew Lindsay, we know you're a starter caliber arm. We see your spin rates. We see your conditioning. We know what you did at Charlotte. You haven't started here. By the way, you're now an SEC Friday night starter. So congratulations. Here's the baseball. So you got to do that. And you got to tell Dolander, hey, by the way, um, you know, you maybe just Friday night things not working out. And you take a guy who's a Friday night SEC starter and tell him all of a sudden he's not, you're going to push him back. You have to massage a lot of egos there. You also have to make a decision with Beam. They stuck with him. And I'm fine. I'm fine with that because I've, I'm a little bit more bullish on Beam than a lot of people are. I know he just doesn't miss a lot of bats, but numbers are what they are. At the end of the day, he gets the job done. And I think there's value in that. But those, Ben, were all conversations that had to be awkward conversations. And they were tough decisions because you want to put guys first. You want to recruit guys who put the team first. And it's all well and good, right? But then you're not winning. Things aren't going the way you want. And you have to tell guys, maybe we didn't have you in the right position. And and so how a player handles that is really, really, really interesting. And how a coach handles that is really interesting. Those were tough conversations they had to have. They had them. Everybody was on board. If anybody pouted, they did it by themselves. They didn't do it in front of the team. They came out there, formed together, and even after it didn't go great the first week on paper, they stuck with it, and here they are. All of a sudden, it's looking like it works, and that, that's a credit to the coaches, to, to Anderson and Vitello for coming up with the plan. That's a credit to the players for understanding it, putting the team first. And all of a sudden now, things are shaking out where, hey – it may not look exactly in terms of the pecking order what we thought it was going to be, but the top arms are being the top arms, and they look really good, Ben. If they're going to pitch like this, if they're going to pitch like this, I don't care how they get to the postseason, it's going to be a nightmare to end their season. If they are pitching like this, they are going to be hard to eliminate from the postseason. They absolutely are, and, and we talked about that a good bit on on the preview pod that we did end of last week or I guess a couple of days ago. Um, but Bur- Burns was just absolute dynamite out of the bullpen. And, and just to touch on his adjustments that he has made the last couple of weeks, he, he said that he's done more work with Quentin Eberhardt, the, the strength coach, to open up his hips or uh, allow his hips to to be more flexible, uh, I, I guess. I, I don't know if flexible is the, the best word to use, um, but just for, for his hips to not be as stiff, uh, essentially. And, and you saw – on Friday night in game one, he worked completely out of the stretch. Uh, he, he did not work out of the windup, uh, and that was because it, it felt like, or he felt like it helped him with his hips uh, and, and allowing his hips to be where they needed to be and, and do what they needed to do. And as a result, you saw him have complete command of his fastball and his slider. That was the biggest difference is, is he had his command of the slider. It was absolutely filthy. You've seen it be filthy at times this season, but it would be like two out of every 10, 
three out of every 10 were really, really good. And on Friday and today in the series finale to, to, to pitch the ninth inning, it was absolute, absolutely consistent, exactly where it needed to be. And not only was he locating his slider, which has been his biggest problem, he was locating the fastball better, but not only was he locating it, the the velocity it was it was even higher than it has been and and he did get up to 101 on Friday night on the radar gun and and pumped 100 several times uh, so it, it seems like they have found a mechanical adjustment that has allowed him to be successful and uh, it, it seems like he's just going to absolutely take off after these past two weekends because he he was tremendous this week this this weekend but he was also really good. Last weekend in Arkansas as well, it, it just kind of wasn't talked about as much because they got swept and uh, he, he did give up a, a run or two. But he was really good at Arkansas and he was even greater somehow uh, this weekend. I mean, that that was as impressive as a pitching performance as I've seen under Tony Vitello's tenure. Uh, and, and there have certainly been uh, plenty of, of arms uh, to, to come through. So uh, they're in a really good spot with, with their pitching staff. I love the pitching decisions. They're paying off in a big way. And I continue to say it, I think, in the long run, it's really going to prove to be what turned Tennessee's season uh, around. So uh, a couple of other things Tennessee showed this weekend that will also help them turn their season around. But before we discuss those things, we do need to catch a break here on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Ben McKee, West Rucker, sitting in Lindsey Nelson Stadium following Tennessee's sweep of number four Vanderbilt as we all saw coming. Everybody predicted it. Everybody in Knoxville, everybody outside of Knoxville, we we all saw Tennessee winning the series, Tennessee sweeping Vanderbilt. And honestly, that's putting it kindly for Vanderbilt. Tennessee flat out punched Vanderbilt in the face and flat out dominated them this weekend, which was I, I did not see it coming, as everybody heard on on, on the preview pod. But uh, before we continue our conversation about Tennessee potentially turning its season around, I uh, do need to suggest and request, if you don't mind, just to take a brief moment out of your day to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your Go Vols 247 podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Wes, the, the other big difference this weekend, and we mentioned it off the top, the pitching was not s- surprising and and I won't even what we're about to talk about wasn't necessarily surprising, um, but 
we weren't as concerned, really concerned with the pitching at all, as much as we were defense, situational hitting, just the the small things, details that go into playing good fundamental baseball, which at the end of the day is going to take you a, a lot further than natural talent or God-given abilities, thing, things of that nature like we talked about. So the, the pitching, as awesome and, and, and exciting as that was this weekend, that's the expectation with, with that much talent, that much depth. Like, that's what they should be doing. It's about time that they lived up to that potential. We've been waiting on this type of weekend all season long. And, again, we'll see if they can prove to be consistent with it. It's still a very small sample size. But what was most encouraging this weekend was the defense – it was exactly what it needed to be all weekend. It wasn't perfect, but it's college. They're, they're not professional athletes. They may be close to being professional athletes, but they're still amateurs at the end of the day. They're young ball players at the end of the day. There's going to be errors. Even Vanderbilt, who is one of the best defensive teams in the country, they had errors that led to, to runs for Tennessee this weekend. Like It, it happens. That's, that's part of sports. So the, the, the expectation obviously wasn't for them to be perfect. It was just make the routine plays, and they did that this weekend and that was important but what what I thought was most encouraging on top of the defense was the situational hitting because you've seen the outfield defense get much better the last couple of weeks you've seen the base running it's barely been a conversation the last couple of weeks I mean I I don't really remember a base running mistake there's been a couple of pickoffs here and there but Again, that's part of baseball. Like That's going to happen from time to time. It's just what was so frustrating at the beginning of the season. It just seemed to be happening all the time rather than here and there. Um, but the situational hitting was something that, that I thought was, was very, very encouraging. It wasn't there on, on Friday night. We listed those numbers earlier. But on Saturday and Sunday, the, the, the situational hitting numbers were absolutely incredible. This is on Saturday when Tennessee – won 17 to 1. They scored 9 runs in the first inning, all with 2 outs. They scored 3 in the second inning, which I believe was also all with 2 outs. And then they scored 1 in the 3rd, 4 in the 5th, and that was to run rule Vanderbilt and clinch the series. Chase Dolander, awesome on the mound, but the bats, 8 for 14 with 2 outs, 8 for 15 with runners on base, 6 for 12 for runners in scoring position, uh, 3 for 6 leading off an inning. Uh, two for three with runners on third, less than two outs. 17 for 24 in advancement opportunities. That's a 708 average. They hit 708 in advancement opportunities when they had 24 of them. That was incredible. And then even today in the, in the 10-5 win, Drew Beam does his thing on the mound. Uh, Vanderbilt does make a, a late run. Seth Halverson gave us some big hits there. Maybe fair to be a little bit concerned about Halverson. Has, hasn't looked – it hasn't looked his best the last couple of outings, but I'm not too concerned. He's a good pitcher. He'll he'll get it figured out. Um, but aside from that late spark by Vanderbilt, uh, just another dominating win for Tennessee. It looked like they were going to run roll them for a second straight day. Uh, they scored five in the second, four in the fifth. Hunter Inslee hits uh, two home runs. Uh, Jake Kendrow, who is starting for Christian Moore, who was – suspended because he was ejected in game two uh he he starts the rally on sunday with an, a nice opposite field rb or not opposite field but an rbi double to the left field wall uh, that was really impressive but again the situational hitting stats not as good as as game two but game two was just absolutely 
elite. Like it was going to be hard not to take a step back with, with just how good it was. But on on Sunday, West in the series finale, four for eleven with two outs, eight for eighteen with runners on base, five for eleven with runners in scoring position, and that's a three sixty four average, a four forty four average, a four fifty five average. They hit five twenty six in advancement opportunities, going ten for nineteen. They had one situation where where there was a runner on third, less than two outs, and they drove him in. The situational hitting, like that, that has to be a thing. And it can be a little bit fluky at times, and baseball is baseball. Uh, it, there's bad luck involved. But, man, that, that to me was the biggest difference this weekend. Yeah, when I think about game two, you know, it, it, it's funny. Even games that end up like 17-1 to 1 have moments, most of them do anyway, where you go, hmm, things could have been a lot different if this just one thing had, had gone differently. And with Tennessee, you have all that momentum coming in from Friday night, right? You 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 come back, you kind of sucker punch Vandy there, and kind of steal game one. And I'm not saying they didn't earn it, but sort of sort of stole it. You're, you're down to your last strike. You kind of steal a win there. You come back the next day, and then you know you got Dolander on the bump. You're probably feeling good. Boom, Vandy goes up one nothing in the top of the the first on that in that game on a ball that I think if he times his jump a little better, Christian Scott, an athlete like him, has a chance to go make that play. Um, it would have been a tough play, but I think we all know he's capable of making it. Regardless, he doesn't quite make it. It's kind of a kind of a, a, a turf or, or a wall banger, wall scraper, kind of goes over one nothing, And then you got two outs in the bottom of the first, and you're like, ah, well, this is going to be buckling. It's going to be another pitcher's duel kind of day, and you're behind the eight ball. Boom. Ten straight guys go out there and get hits. Nine of them score uh, in, in one of the best two-out rallies I can remember seeing at any level of baseball ever. Uh, just, just And all guys just doing stuff they're capable of doing, but stringing it together like that, you know, passing the baton, going back and forth. Mal Yahuna, you know, could have been a guy who uh, had two of the three outs in that inning because he leads off the game and doesn't get on. But the second time he comes up, gets down two strikes, boom, hits a three-run home run. Um, they did those little things. Then then Vanderbilt comes back, gets the bases loaded. Very next inning, Dolander, bases loaded, no outs. Two strikeouts pop out. He gets out of it. Then he cruises. So even that game that was 17-1, there's a couple moments where things go just a little bit differently. We're maybe having a different conversation about that game. But those things didn't happen. Tennessee made plays when they had to make them. Tennessee just put the foot on Vandy's throat in that game. And and that, to go do that against a team like Vandy, against a program like Vandy, which I'll be careful how I say this um, because I know the Tennessee fans are the ones listening to this podcast, but I don't know how you can take anything away from that Vanderbilt baseball program. Those guys, they win every year. They've won two ships in the past, what, seven, eight years. They put a bunch of guys in the draft. They play defense. They play hard. They're 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 smart guys. They're good players. You you can hate them if you want. If you're a Tennessee fan, you have to respect them. You have to respect even you, you beat them seven straight times. Doesn't matter. That is an elite program. And to go do that to that program uh, with the pitchers like that, with the 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 offense like that, players like Bradfield in the mix, like. You put it on them. That's impressive. And then we saw in the in the last game, you know, Vandy has some backbone still against the wall, having, you know, on the road. You've been mocked now for, what, seven hours? And you go out there and you darn near put a scare into Tennessee at the end of the game. That is a good program. And I say that to put into context what Tennessee did to that program, did to that team. Um, those guys are not going to wear a lot of 17-1 losses on the weekend when they're playing their best guys. 
That's just not going to happen. Tennessee did it and did it, Ben, in seven innings. So what would it have been like if they had gotten a couple more innings to hit or one more? Inning? My God, like what would have happened? You know, it, it's sometimes you just kind of get on the the wave and you ride it and you have a chance to put it on a team. They didn't miss. They put it on those guys. And that to me, you know, Friday night was the kind of, hey, we're not dead game. Saturday was the, oh, by the way, we, we, we still might be Tennessee game. And then Sunday was the, hey, we're still Tennessee game. And that every single bit in that chain was important because they don't happen. The chain needs every link. But there were a couple moments there in game two where it could have gotten a little squirrely and it didn't. And that was a very, very mature performance from a team that gets emotional. You, you can be emotional. You can be at, you know, fierce competitively, but you gotta, you gotta take care of business too. You gotta be, you know, competitively mature. And they were. And I said, I have no problem with what Christian Moore did. Some people do. I don't. Um, I, I think you stand up for your guy in that situation. You don't let somebody put their hands on your best pitcher. And even if it's accidental, stick a cleat in his leg, make him bleed a little bit. You don't do that. You don't, you don't take kindly to that. It's your guy. It's a hockey goalie. You don't let anybody touch your dude. So I, I don't have a huge problem with that. Um, but the, the competitive maturity in that game, to put that on a program of that caliber, that really stands out to me. That's kind of a – the Saturday was the, oh, by the way, we're, 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 we're still around. We might be that. We might be those guys again. Yeah, Christian Moore. I don't. I don't have a problem at all with, with what he did. Um, you, you take up for your pitcher in that moment for sure. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know that it was the most egregious shove ever uh, by the the Vanderbilt player, but but still, it, just no need for that. And and maybe it was more incidental than, than it looked because it wasn't like full extension or, or anything along those lines. But also, and Tony Vitello said this after the game, don't have a problem with Christian Moore sticking up for his teammate, uh, whether it's a pitcher or not, but especially when it is uh, a, a pitcher. And th- my one last takeaway before we get into some big pitcher stuff, before we get out of here, we, we've hammered home the, the awesome pitching that Tennessee displayed this weekend. I mean – Again, small sample size, but if you, you if you just take this weekend alone, and I would argue honestly some of last weekend at Arkansas as well, this, this pitching staff goes toe to toe with anybody, and they they may not have the offensive firepower that a Florida and LSU uh, has. And look, I mean they just took it to Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt is a really good team, a really solid team, but they they don't have a ton of guys that scare you. That was that was kind of our point. Uh, about Arkansas last week as well. Good team, but they don't have any guys that, that scare you. They're, they're dealing with some issues in, in their pitching staff. And, and oh, by the way, uh, Arkansas fans, I, I guess your internet's out this weekend. Haven't seen any comments on, on our board or or, or or on Twitter. Uh, w- w- what happened to coming at me and Wes for, for uh, saying that <laughs> uh, last weekend was more about Tennessee? Anything crickets? Internet still not working after you got swept uh, by by Georgia. That that's that's odd. Maybe Wes and I were correct about something. And and as Wes said the other day, oh by the way, we cover Tennessee, so we're going to cover it from Tennessee's perspective and Tennessee's side of thing. And outside of a hit or two in those first two games, and the starters for Arkansas were really really good. Let, let's not get that twisted. But a lot of self inflicted wounds from Tennessee led to Arkansas winning those first two games. 
but I, I again, I guess the arc, the internet in Arkansas is out this weekend because I haven't heard anything from them. The one DM that you must have received, Wes, must be from a Razorbacks fan outside of the state of Arkansas because I think the the entire state of Arkansas, I think it's its internet is out after the, this past weekend because we didn't hear anybody chirping at us uh, like like they did on on, on Sunday. But that that's neither it here. Was an Arkansas fan from Station, Texas. So you're See, right. I, I told you the the internet in Arkansas is out because I, I haven't seen anything from uh, the the media. Oh, I mean fans uh, that that follow the the team there. Uh, but for Tennessee, they they this pitching staff can compete with anybody. It, it's all about the other things: the defense helping the pitching staff out, like you saw this weekend, and the lineup. They were great this weekend, but they don't even have to be as great as they were in Game Two and Game Three. Just just don't be just a, a zombie up there at the plate don't don't be a ghost you just give them a, a little bit of something to work with and and you're going to win far more games than you lose and and you're going to be a team that that's tough to, to put out so we, we've hammered the pitching home they played good fundamental baseball which is which is what we've been harping about for weeks now the the other thing and this contributes to the offense breaking out and the the fielding being more pleasing to to watch Maui Ahuna was Maui Ahuna this weekend. Maui Ahuna is a good baseball player. He has certainly had his frustrating struggles this season, but you saw the guy that Tennessee thought they were getting this weekend. He was terrific at the plate. He was terrific in the field. He made he made plays in the field that very few college shortstops make throughout the country. And if Maui Ahuna, who needs to find a level of consistency, but if he can find it and he can play like he did this weekend – that once again raises the potential of this team. And and look, the other transfers weren't giving Tennessee much of, of anything either. And Zane Denton hit over four hundred this weekend. Griffin Merritt had two big home runs this weekend. Though those veterans were, were more like themselves on top of Jared Dickey being Jared Dickey, Blake Burke being Blake Burke, Hunter Ensley stepping up, and it, it's an entirely different lineup when, when things look as good as they looked within that moment. But my, my one last big takeaway from this weekend is that Maui Ahuna was finally Maui Ahuna, and he looked freaking awesome. Yeah, he did, and, and I'm glad that because there were just two other things I really wanted to make sure I didn't forget to talk about. One of them was, was Maui Ahuna, who uh, I don't know how many guys at this level, at the college level, will throw out Enrique Bradfield Jr. from deep in the 5.5 hole. Um but uh, Maui Ahuna did it on Sunday. Uh, he absolutely – that play was so much harder than it looked, especially with a guy who runs the way that Bradfield runs. Now, I guess that turnabout's fair play because Bradfield routinely makes plays in center field that a lot of guys, maybe Drew Gilbert makes, but, but, but very few guys can make some of the plays he makes. But my point about Ahuna was that – and I've said this a little bit – I've alluded to this a little bit before, but uh, if you've ever had a back injury – and you've tried to do anything, not much less play sports at a high level. You try to do anything with a back that's giving you a hard time, bro, try to tie your shoes, all right? Try to get in and out of the shower. Like a back injury sucks with a capital S, sucks out loud. And you are not, if you're a freakish athlete at shortstop and all of a sudden your back doesn't move very, you're not going to be the same player. And so the guy that the Maui Ahuna that we've seen this weekend looked like the one that everybody saw in the fall and that nobody could stop talking about. And like the guy who 
just was a problem all last season for anyone Kansas played. And right now, as frustrating as he's been for a decent part of this season, I'm looking it up right now for Ahuna's numbers. I'm trying to find them, but he's hitting about – I think he's hitting about 200 right now. and Or I'm sorry, about 300 right now. And some of the – I mean, his on-base percentage right now is like 415 or something around there. And that's with him not being himself most of the year. This is still a good baseball player. I mean, people expected him, if he wasn't out here making backflips like Ozzie Smith and doing everything, hitting you know 15 home runs, wh- who, wh- why was he worth all this fuss? He's a good player. And his back still isn't 100%, but it's getting better. And they've done some medicine stuff to it, and it's helped, some medication. And, and he's looking like himself now. And by the way, when he does that, He's still one of the best shortstops in this game at the college level, without question. Still a high-round draft pick, all those things. The other thing I wanted to mention was the guy who just kind of consistently flies under the radar for this team, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't know that we mentioned the name Hunter Ensley enough in terms of the role that he has for this team, uh, what he's done this season. He's a program player. He's been here three years. Uh, he didn't get a lot of playing time the first couple of years. He's gotten a chance this season, and, and you saw early in the season they played him some at first base here and there late in games. They were trying to find ways to get him involved because he just kind of keeps being productive. But then they need a right-handed bat. They need somebody to do something in center field because they can't find something that works there. Booker's not playing the way he's capable of playing, and I still believe he is capable of playing. Ensley steps up, and for a right-handed bat, to come in and do what he's done for this lineup. I think he's hitting, what, 305, 302, something around there right now. Played consistently pretty well in center field. Had some big hits in big situations. Now they're putting him up toward the top of the lineup, leading him off sometimes. What he's done has been crucial for this team all season. And it's a good story because he, he's one of those guys, Ben. You talk about you know the, the equivalent of five stars, right? I know that, that baseball – doesn't quite do as many of the ranking type systems and things, but like, you know who the best of the best are. Ensley was a guy they knew could be pretty good, but they knew they were going to have to develop him and they've developed something there and he's earned something there and he's gotten something out of it. And you need guys like that to be where you want to be as a program, because you're not going to get just a whole bunch of, you know, the Blake Burks and Maui Ahunas and, and those types who you just know, you know, they can't miss, you know, these guys are going to be awesome. You know, your Dolanders, your, 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 your Burns, those kind of guys, you have to have guys that you develop your Jared Dickies, your Hunter Ensley's and uh, what he's done, not just this weekend or not just Sunday, but throughout the season has been so important for Tennessee. And I don't know, I'm guilty of it too, Ben. I don't know that any of us mention him enough and what he does for this team, but yes, the greater point there um, about Ahuna is just that, Hey, He's really good. Even though he's not been himself most of the year, the numbers are okay. And he could take off like a rocket the next five weeks. So just, you know, keep it in check. His back, then he, you know, he came up sliding and had a little bit of a gimpy moment there on Sunday where he went, ah, after he stole the base there and he kind of needed timeout to get things straight. He's still a player, man. People need to be patient sometimes. If it doesn't go the way you want it to go immediately, that doesn't mean it's still not going to go the way you want it to go. Just, Hang tight for a second. Sometimes these guys, in the long run, Ben, they show you who they are. They do, and he is one that has certainly showed it this weekend because some of those plays were just absolutely 
terrific. Made a an over the shoulder basket catch in, in shallow left field, going back on a on a hard ball to go catch. Uh, made again made a over the shoulder basket catch in, in game one on on Friday night, and then had several plays to get Enrique Bradfield Jr. out on Sunday. They need him to be Maui Ahuna if if this team is going to reach its full potential. And, and I love the Hunter Inslee story. And I agree with Tony Vitello. He he said after the game, those type of guys are, are my favorite types of players. The the ones who they they stay the course. They they, they don't transfer in in today's era of the transfer portal. And, and not that he's anti transfer, but the the sense that you get somewhere and and it's not going the way that you want it to go immediately. You're, you're not getting the playing time right off the bat. And you don't immediately transfer. You, you, you kind of wait it out a little while. You try to develop. You you put in all the work, and, and you try to make a name for yourself. And, and that's what Hunter Inslee has done. He, he doesn't have the flashiest tools in the toolbox or, or the sharpest tools, but he's just a really steady, consistent, good baseball players, player. Uh, and he's kind of a, a glue guy. And you need those steady, solid players on good teams you, you just do those guys make good teams he's played great defensively all year long in center field which he doesn't look like an ideal center fielder uh, but he's just steady eddie out there and, he, and he's been steady at the plate and he's mostly done it at the top of the lineup in, in some form of capacity and, and he's part of an underlying theme to this weekend of mid-state guys now he's he's a little more west tennessee than than mid-state he, he's he's kind of right there getting into west tennessee there in huntington uh which is west of, of paris tennessee from alaska to huntington. yes from alaska to huntington which is an odd journey um but still somewhat in the mid-state huntington's probably an hour 45 from nashville but my overall point mid-state guys who killed the mid-state team this weekend jared dickey a player who was really good this weekend in the field and at the plate, uh, a player that Vanderbilt did not think was going to develop at their school, did not think that he would develop enough in the SEC to be a good SEC player. And what has he done? He's come over to Tennessee and developed as good as anybody and become one of the best players in the SEC. And then, oh, that, that QB1 on the mound on Sunday, pitching coach for Vanderbilt, kind of slow played throughout his recruiting process that's why beam ends up at, at tennessee instead of sticking to 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 the nashville area and pitching for vanderbilt he comes to tennessee also develops and he has developed obviously but was ready to go from the jump and, and helping tennessee as a freshman he was awesome that leads into the tony vitello has his number against Vanderbilt so far in, in his tenure. He, he's now 10-6 and six in six seasons against Vanderbilt, who I do believe Vanderbilt under Tim Corbin is the premier college baseball program. I know Tennessee fans don't want to hear that, but I do. It's the truth. It's the truth. He, he is the standard right now. There are better pr programs traditionally, LSU, you know, the LSUs of the world. Uh, it's definitely, yeah, yeah. like there, there are more there are bigger brand names, but in terms of what what you're getting with what you got, like Tim Corbin is the standard. I mean, he has two national championships in the last decade at, at Vanderbilt and has made Vanderbilt, a school that does not like to put money into athletics, put money into his program. Now, maybe some of that is former players who have turned out to make a lot of money at the professional level, but Tim Corbin's the standard, and Tony Vitello has had his number. And it, it you know what it feels like. It feels like Rick Barnes in Kentucky. 
that that that's what it feels like and and I imagine that makes Tennessee fans uh really really excited I, I know they obviously appreciate Tony Vitello and everything he's done elevating the program all the wins all the success but th- there are teams where it it feels better to win than than others uh in football it's Alabama Florida Georgia in basketball it's Kentucky uh I'd say Vanderbilt as as well and in baseball yes you want to beat Florida you, you want to beat Georgia Kentucky South Carolina but you really want to beat Vanderbilt and Tony has had Corbin's number to this point, and that 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 adds, I think, for Tennessee fans, a, a little special flavor this weekend because that's the one area where the couple of ten, uh, the the couple of Vanderbilt fans that there are, it's the one thing that they could brag about outside of women's bowling, and it does get under the skin of of Tennessee fans. But for Tony to be ten and six against him. They, they've now swept them back-to-back seasons for the first time since 1993 and 1994. They've won seven straight against them. It, it seemed improbable this weekend, but I, I do think just, just the fact that this is their biggest rival, that this is the one that you circle. SEC baseball feels like everybody is rivals in, in some sort of fashion, but this is without a doubt Tennessee's biggest on the diamond. Yeah, and, and this, Ben, as we talked about going into the weekend, I still think felt like Tennessee could by the end of the season be the team that people thought it, it was going to be. I always thought that was possible, and I said that many times. But I also said, and, and I got to hold myself to this because I said it, and I think a lot of us said it, if you were going to build a team to beat Tennessee, you would build a team that looks a lot like this Vanderbilt team because this Vanderbilt team, uh, one of the left-handed pitchers was out this weekend, but still a bunch of good left-handed arms, which is a problem for Tennessee's left-handed lineup a team that does not beat itself so it's going to kind of it's not going to give you any breaks here and there and a team that can really 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 put one over on you on the bases can really dominate you on the base pass and that's something this Tennessee team just does not do well at all which is control the running game you would build a team that looks a lot like this Vanderbilt team if you wanted to go into a series and beat Tennessee so not only is it is it Tennessee beating Vanderbilt when Vanderbilt's ranked fourth and all these other things? It's Tennessee beating Vanderbilt when Vanderbilt looks like it's a team built to, to beat Tennessee. And we all know. One stolen base all Yeah, because they kept Bradfield off the bases. And it's not just Bradfield. they got other guys who can run. But every time Bradfield gets a single against any team, it's a triple. It's a triple every time. And against Tennessee, it's especially a triple. He probably didn't even have to slide. But they kept him off base all weekend long. He didn't have a base hit at all until he had the 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 hit there to bring in the first run for Vandy on Sunday. And uh, but my point there is that we all know you can just look at a map and you can look at population numbers, or just go to Nashville every three months. It gets bigger every time you go. It's ridiculous how quickly. And I know this because my sister's you know been looking at, at at buying houses there. I know, right? I can tell you how many people are moving there, how expensive it is, how big of an area it's becoming. That's not going to stop anytime soon. And there's going to be more and more prospects in more and more sports who are going to be big-time prospects coming out of that area. I'm not going to say it's like it's going to turn into Atlanta or anything like that. We'll see. But, like, that takes a couple generations. But there's a bunch of players there coming out every year. And for Tennessee to take a lot of these these in-state, these mid-state kids and shove it up Vandy's tailpipe with them, guys are going to know that, right? Like, there's there's always going to be baseball players 
who are going to want to go to Vandy in some cases um, because we, we know that, you know, you're going to get an education there. And with a lot of baseball parents, for whatever reason, it seems to mean more to some of them like it just does. And so you get more players that go to Vanderbilt, uh, you know, as a private school. So occasionally with the scholarships, you know, a little, little easier in some cases. But also, just look at the track record and, and the, the the wins they've had, the guys that they're putting in the draft every single season, the guys who come back there to train in the offseason. They've got a good thing going there. And it's not, I don't think it's going to stop as long as Corbin's there. So, But to go in there with some of these mid-state kids and really, really give Vandy problems, that that's going to matter. I mean, Corbin's got a lot of relationships. His program does. They're always going to recruit well. Um, but if you can take more and more of these kids out of their own backyard and say, by the way, um, this is still Tennessee state other than maybe half of Shelby County, this is an orange state. It just is. And to, to, to prove that again, to show that again, that, Hey, that's a big deal. And it's going to keep being a big deal as it goes on. I talked about Hunter Ensley earlier being a guy who matters in many ways, but also because he shows young players in your program, what can happen if you stay. Like, hey, um, maybe things are hard for me right now, but look at Inslee. Look what he's doing now. Hey, look, look, look at Trey Lipscomb. Look at that story. You know, that helps, one. And two, what helps in the long run, mid-state kids from this area giving Vandy problems and you beating Vandy, that absolutely is going to matter. Because Corbin's got relationships. They're always going to recruit. But you do it like that, um, it sends a message again. And I'm sure they'll go out recruiting in the next couple. You know, as soon as they can get back out, they'll be back out there in the mid-state being like, hey, Judge, you watch the stuff over the weekend? I'm sure they'll be texting, you know, tonight with, with guys. Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see that? It matters, man. It does. It, it Chip away, chip away, chip away, and all of a sudden, you can take away the, the thing Vandy's got in this state or has had in this state. You mentioned Trey Lipscomb, and Tony Vitello mentioned him. I, I referenced Tony saying postgame that his favorite type of players are the Ensleys, the developmental players that stick around and, and grind it out, and he credited uh, Jake Rucker – Trey Lipscomb, those guys, uh, the, the Luke Lipsiuses, the the Max Fergusons, the Connor Pavalonis. We, we could go kind of on and on and on uh, about guys uh, who, who developed. And, and Pav didn't necessarily have to wait uh, because he, he they didn't have a catcher and he was forced to play as a, a freshman. But he he developed uh, is more so my, my point. And, and he was one of those founding pieces uh, of the program. My, my last thing as we get out of here, Wes, and this is just a natural thought, it's it's not been a fun season until this weekend. This can't be the season. They they have to build on this weekend, and I think they have a golden opportunity these next two weeks to to really vault themselves into the postseason. I think they would have to at this point. It was starting to become more and more of a conversation about them potentially missing the tournament, and it was a, probably a fair one to have before this weekend. But it would probably take them completely falling flat on their face at this point to miss the tournament. Now, the the missing the SEC tournament conversation, I thought that was completely silly. Um, Alabama was beating up on Auburn, and Mississippi State was beating up on Ole Miss. Like All four of those teams, yeah, they were gaining ground, but it was because they were playing each other rather than Tennessee playing LSU, Florida, Arkansas, Vandy. Uh, so that that was why Tennessee looked more towards the bottom than it actually is. So I did think the whole missing Hoover conversation was silly. That was never going to happen. It's not going to happen. And again, unless they fall flat on their face, they're not going to miss the NCAA tournament because of this weekend. 
the loss to Tennessee Tech, that didn't help the RPI, but it was only 36 after that loss. And I believe Sean Barrows told me that they were 23 going into today with the two wins over Vandy. RPI is fine. As long as they don't fall flat on their face, they're going to be in the tournament. But it's not just about getting to the tournament at this point if, if you're Tennessee. And with this pitching staff, no no regional host is going to want to host this Tennessee team. They're, Tennessee's not hosting this year. Uh, I, 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 Plus it goes yeah, I mean, they'd have to like pretty much win out in SEC play. Uh, so <laughs> they're, they're not hosting. But whoever hosts Tennessee in a regional, they're not going to want to see them. If Tennessee can make it to a super regional, that team's not going to want to see this pitching staff in two games, potentially. So it's all about building from here. What this weekend was, it was by far their best baseball. It felt like Tennessee baseball under Tony Vitello for the first time all year. But again, this weekend can't be the season. They have to continue to build, and going into this weekend, they're playing a hosting a bad Mississippi State team. They can swing it, yeah, but they, they can really – I don't know about really swing it. They have some nice hitters in their lineup, but they're a bad baseball team. Tennessee should sweep this weekend. and in my Tennessee should sweep this weekend. There's a significant difference in Tennessee and Mississippi State, in my opinion. I think a series wins a series win. I'm, I'm not disagreeing, but this is a golden opportunity for Tennessee to gain ground and sweep a team that is inferior. This Mississippi State pitching staff is absolutely atrocious. And as long as Tennessee's pitchers show up, they're going to sweep, in my opinion. And then they're going to go to Georgia and play a, a red-hot Georgia team that just had a big weekend uh, against Florida, swept Florida. No, that was South Carolina. Who did Georgia? Georgia just swept Arkansas. I'm sorry. Uh, and that was coming off of a, a prior big series win the, the previous weekend as well. They're, they're on fire right now. So that'll be difficult. Georgia always has natural talent because they're in the state of Georgia. Yeah, all that all that fun stuff. Is, it's an away trip. But Tennessee's the better baseball team these next two weeks. Uh, and it, again, it's a golden opportunity for them to, to kind of come out and, and show that this weekend was not a fluke. Yeah, Ben, great teams, championship caliber teams have insatiable appetites for winning. There is no amount of winning that makes them full. They come to the table every day, every inning, every pitch wanting to eat. And if this team is fat and happy because it swept Vanderbilt, it's not going to be a special season. It's just not. If this team is still hungry, if this team says, hey, mm, that was tasty, let's go eat some more. If they have that kind of mindset and they, they get some breaks, stay healthy, all that stuff, hey, this team has the chance to go a long, long way. It It's the, it's the team. This We've seen enough now to say this is the team. This team can be the team we thought it could be. Doesn't mean it's going to be. means it can be. So it's got to stay hungry. And eventually, um, this is not going to be something that, that will be learned in the next week, but eventually they got to take the show on the road. Eventually they're going to have to, uh, when they're not here, getting the supercharged um, atmosphere that they get here, when everybody's right on top of you, everybody's wearing orange, everybody's giving your opponents grief for nine innings or seven innings in some cases, they're going to have to go somewhere and shove it in somebody's tailpipe in somebody's own yard at some point. They're going to have to do that. So, um, but I, I think, the bottom line is they have to stay hungry. They they have to see that there's still things this weekend they could have done better. They got to go out there and do those things. There are some things that can be cleaned up. Clean them up a little bit. Stay hungry. You know, stay humble to an extent. I still think this team is a little bit at its best when there's a little bit of piss and vinegar involved. I think the emotions got to be there. That's just who they are. I believe that. But you know, you got to stay competitively mature. You know, you got to keep it reasonable. 
and you got to stay hungry. And if you do those things, this team right now uh, couldn't be, can be the team that we thought it could be because there's still some guys on this team who I think can swing it better. There's still some guys on this team who I think can pitch it better. There's some guys on this team who I think can play a little bit better defensively. There's a lot of things out there. They didn't have Christian Moore on Sunday. He's not been healthy. Maybe give him a couple days off. Hey, he's feeling better physically. So, yeah, I think this team can do a lot of things. It's just it's got to stay hungry. It does, and, and we'll see if, if they can prove that this weekend was not a, a fluke. I don't know if they're 17-1 to 1 type of good. That, that was last year's team, but they, they are certainly a team of, of capable of making a run, uh, and, and we'll see whether or not this weekend was a fluke or not. It'll, it'll be back in action on Tuesday night against Bellarmine, and then they will host Mississippi State for a three-game series beginning on Thursday night. We, we've got another Thursday, Friday, Saturday coming up on the schedule and Wes and I will be here all week to cover it for Wes Rucker I am Ben McKee and we hope you all enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a great week there's that button and now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast we always say that but we always mean it thank you Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, nobody, and I mean nobody covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening. 
again and uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.